Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. This week on It Starts With Attraction. Today we're talking about personalities and we're speaking with a personality psychologist, Dr. Vibka Blydorn. She's a professor at the University of Zurich all the way over in Switzerland in the Department of Psychology and also the president of Association for Research in Personality. And she's also received the American Psychological Association's Award for Distinguished Scientific Early Career Contributions to Psychology. That's quite an award. And we're talking today about her research and the research that she's been studying for several years in her field of work about personality. Are we born with a personality? Is it made through our environment? When we talk about personality, what is the most reliable, verified type of personality assessment that we can use? And what are the parts of it? What are the traits of personality that we really know that we can count on? What does that look like in people? We're going to talk about all of that today. And you're going to see yourself in this episode as we talk about it. She's also given us a link to where you can go and take this personality assessment. It's called The Big Five. So be sure that you stick around and look in the show notes where you'll be able to take that. Let's dive into today's episode. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. Dr. Vipka Blydorn, I'm so excited to have you on the show today to talk about personality and specifically a personality assessment, I guess you could say, that we haven't talked about yet on the podcast, which is the big five. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's start with, uh, actually, I want to ask you, how did you get involved in researching personalities. That's, first of all, fascinating. But what has your journey looked like from where you started to where you are now? Wow. Um, Yeah, this uh, actually goes back 20 years ago by now when I studied psychology and I ran into a class um, I think this is a story of many people. They ran into a class on a topic that really fascinates them. For me, it was personality psychology and, in fact, especially behavioral genetics. So I really got into the question, what is it What is it that makes us tick? And um, the next question, is it the genes or the environment then that have an influence on how we develop and who we are in life? So I decided early on... Um, in college that this is what I want to do. And I have changed my mind since then. (laughs) So what is it? Is it environment or genes that forms our personality? Well, 
The answer is both, I guess. As always. Um, but I think we can give a, a bit more of a qualified answer than just both. We know that um, personality differences are certainly genetically predisposed. So we we are not coming, um, uh, we are not arriving here as a tabula rasa. There is something that mm-hmm. we bring with us. We are genetically predisposed to be a certain way, but the environment has roughly the same proportionally at least impact on who we end up being and perhaps the more interesting finding here is that it is not so much the environment that we share with our family members so many people think oh it's got to be the the parenting then it's got to be things that make all siblings be alike it is much more the environment that makes people within families more different from each other things that are unique to us And that being said, that can only also be parenting, but it's not the parenting that has the same effect on you and your sister, but it's how you perceive and react to that parenting that develops your unique personality. Fascinating. Really interesting. Okay. So uh, I guess we kind of, the first question we may have just covered a bit, is personality born or made? And the answer is both. That's really, it makes sense though, the way that you perceive the parenting that you get kind of forms the the way that you end up showing up in the world. I know me and my sister are very, very different. Yeah. She is, uh, you know, a little more loves to stay at home, kind of likes her routine, not quite as outgoing or as independent as I am. And then I'm just maybe sometimes a little bit overbearing and very <laughs> independent and, you know, all the things. But it's always fascinating when they have the same parents and grew up in the same way, how different people can be. Yeah. The other interesting thing is when you compare personality differences, like you just described with uh, cognitive abilities and your intelligence, because the interesting thing here is it's also genetically predisposed, but here for younger kids, also the, the family environment actually does play a role less so when you are an adult, but Um, It seems that their parenting and what you experience as a child, how many books there are is more important, whereas for um, personality differences like the ones you described, like how extroverted you are, how curious you are, that doesn't seem to play a role. So you're saying that cognitive ability is impacted by parental involvement in the child's life. In the child's life, for children, more so than for adults. This influence yeah. later on, it's it's the environment that is unique to you. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is important to read with your children, help them with their math when they get home from school. Don't just let the school do it all. Well, ultimately, I have to say... Um, yeah. That, <clears throat> I, I don't want to go too deep into this. The genetic uh, disposition for cognitive abilities really seems to matter a little more. Um, that doesn't mean that individual that doesn't play a role, but um, I think there's this concept of good enough parenting. And I think if, if you are doing that, actually, then for, for most kids, it's going to be all right. I think there's probably this happy balance, right? And yeah. <laughs> yeah, not when they get, you know, if they get home from school, it's another two hours of working on homework, but doing things like maybe reading a book before they go to bed, something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, when thinking about personality, what is the key element of personality? What kind of is that thing that forms personality within us? Well, this is a this is a really deep, deep question. Well, I I can, maybe let's start there. The the definition that most people can agree on what personality is is that it is the relatively stable and unique patterns of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that distinguish individuals from one another. So when you when you think about this, it's the psychological triad of thinking, feeling, and behaving. It's not only what you think, it's not only what you do, it's really the complexity of this pattern, which is also a challenge for us because it's incredibly difficult to measure this, obviously, because what we really want to do is to understand the whole person. But um, this is uh, is very difficult to do. So what the core is, is uh, probably... Um, too big even to describe it as a core, um, I would say. But this is why we why we use um, the big five. You already mentioned them. Ways to describe and measure personality in in ways that are comprehensive or attempt to be, but also fairly manageable. Right? We want to have something like five traits instead of hundreds or thousand traits to describe a person. Yes, that makes a ton of sense because I'm sure you could get really deep into the details of it and it just becomes unmanageable to use as as a framework for anything. So what are the big five personality traits? I remember learning them in college. That's probably when I learned about them most. Uh, and it was always the the acronym OCEAN or CANOE that would kind of help you <laughs> Remember what they are. With water has to do with water. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the big five are um, well five traits that people can use to describe individual differences in personality, and it really goes back to the question that was actually stated hundred years ago: How many traits do we need to describe personality differences? Is it enough that we just have one? Maybe we can just say good or bad person could work or do we need hundreds traits or thousands and so the question is what is the what is the happy entry point here for us that is um, has the right bandwidth but also fidelity and the way this has been approached is really interesting because the way it's been approached by what we call the lexical hypothesis maybe you remember that too the lexical hypothesis yeah. is that if personality differences matter then they then they will end up in our language. And if they're in our language, then we'll find them in a dictionary. So 100 years ago, uh, yeah, a little more even, Gordon Alport and uh, his little assistant, Henry Oppert, um looked at a dictionary and wrote down all the trade words that they could find, everything that described individual differences. And these wow. trade words, over 18,000, can then be... Um, used to describe people, right? And, and that's what they did in many different samples. And then they used a technique which is called factor analysis. And this is right. just to reduce this. And just means like, which traits hang together? Maybe sociable is sort of similar to gregarious. Maybe we can cluster this and likes other people or with other uh, um, extroverted ultimately, right? 
And so this is what they did. And if you do this over and over and over again, it turns out these roughly 18,000 words cluster or form five big clusters. And these are the big five. And so these big five traits are really an idea to have five traits that are fairly independent of each other that can be used to describe a person's personality. And the, to get back to your acronym, OCEAN, um, OCEAN, these are the first letters of the of the traits. O, o refers to openness, and open people are curious and interested in new ideas and um, in intellectual ideas also. Um, then the C is for conscientiousness, and conscientious people show up on time, they do their work, they're good in self-control and reliable. E refers to extroversion. Extroverted people like others, sociable, likes to go to parties. An extroverted person likes to hang out with others. And the opposite, of course, you, you also have to mention this is a dimension. Introverts rather hang out by themselves, read a book perhaps, than going to a party. Then the A is for agreeableness. Agreeable people are um, nice to others. They trust others. They are compassionate and polite. And disagreeable people are not afraid to pick a fight when needed, for example. And then we have N, that's neuroticism. And neuroticism um, or neurotic people are more likely to worry, to be perhaps a little more stressed, experience negative affect, whereas people who are emotionally stable, that's the opposite. They are um, less, well, less bothered by stress. They keep calm. They don't experience big emotional changes. Yeah, these but, are the big five. And as you can see, they are, they are fairly different from each other. And once you get a hang of this uh, acronym, it's really interesting when you think about your know, friends, perhaps, or the people around you. You you think, ah, this seems to be an open person, or maybe as extroverted person. And um, I think it's really helpful to think and talk about personality. For all of those traits, except for one, it seems like you want to be on one end of the spectrum versus the other. That's what I've always thought. It's like, sometimes I feel like it's a test and you want to pass it. <laughs> you want to make sure. And then with neurotic, it's the one you're like, I actually want to be more emotionally agreeable. But uh, I mean, I don't even know what, what the question is around that. Do you, does it kind of feel that way to you or has it felt that way to you in the past? And how can we accept that it's okay not to be, you know, a hundred percent on openness, which I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there, but it's, it's really people have a varying degree of each of these that makes up what their unique personality is. But can you speak more to all of that? Yeah, you make a really important point. And most people really fall in the middle somewhere, right? This is a, this is uh, these are normal distributions, and very few people have are on the extreme ends of the poles. But what you said is also true that it's mostly beneficial to be conscientious and 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 open and extroverted. But okay. actually, it can also be perhaps an advantage to be not super agreeable. For example, there's evidence showing that people who are less agreeable tend to have a higher income presumably yes. because they're better at negotiating and they're not yes. saying yes easily, but willing to take um, like, a, uh, like a conversation and, 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 and negotiate their salary, for example. Right. Um, with neuroticism though, it is true that there's very 
good evidence that it's generally better to be less neurotic. And that it is not only the case that the people on the like uh, with very high scores um, have problems. It is really true that uh, every little bit that you can be less neurotic tends to be advantageous for you. Huh. It's sort of a gradient. Um, of course, that doesn't mean that it's generally problematic to be neurotic in all ways, but at the population level, right, across all people, this trait sort of creates costs and has very, very few benefits. Yeah. So that's interesting. When someone takes the big five, and there's a lot of I know there's a lot of online places that you can take it kind of for free. I don't know if those would be as valid as what someone might take if they were in a research study or something like that. But what is, in, you know, they're going to get, as we talked about, they're going to get these varying degrees of you're 32% open, 82% extrovert, whatever it is. How do we make sense of how those interact with each other? You in order to form thing. uniqueness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let me first say that there are validated and really well um, well developed and established tests on the internet. And I'd be happy to send you a link if you want to put that in your show notes, for well, example. That would be great. So yeah. And take it with the advantage that this particular test has been taken by many people. So you get your responses um, in, in, in relation to... Um, a big sample of Americans who have okay. tested themselves. And so you get an idea where you range. Um, and the ways they interact, well, the things, these, these traits were designed to be fairly orthogonal, meaning independent of each other. And the, um, so your question sort of refers to what is it if you are super conscientious but then highly neurotic, right? What happens okay. then? Right. There's actually not that much research showing that these these that there are particular combinations or interactions that would lead to particular outcomes. Of course, it doesn't mean that individually that cannot be the case, but across people, there's very little evidence that these 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 interactions or profiles would predict um, a lot of extra outcomes. Yeah. Do people sometimes see their scores and say, man, I did not realize I was so unconscientious or wow, I didn't realize I was very agreeable. And in, and then from that, they say, I don't want to be that way. Do people, well, I'm sure people do that, but can you actually change what your big five is? I think most people are not shocked when they get their test results because most people, I mean, first of all, especially if you do the self-report, you get an idea and you think about yourself. And even if you haven't thought about who you are, most people, most people do that once in a while, right? Maybe not as concrete as it is asked for in this test. Most people are saying, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. I think most people find themselves also um, in these test scores um, but it is also true that many people say that they would like to change at least one trade. Okay. And the trade also that most people want to change if 
if they are asked, right? It's not that people go around and think all the time, like I need to change my personality. But if you ask them, would you change this trait? Most people say, and, and, and in one study, in fact, 94% of the participants said neuroticism. They would like uh -huh. to be less neuroticism, uh, neurotic because why wouldn't you, right? Why wouldn't you right. want to be less stressed by having to do your taxes, for example, just like easy trust. And you think, ah, you are sort of annoyed and why not be Zen about it and think, yeah, I have to do that, but why not? And this is, I think what people imagine that they could achieve maybe. And in fact, we find that in scientific studies, but I think you also see this in people who are in the bookstore in the self-help section and trying to find ways to relax and be less stressed and absorbed, absorbed by their lives and, I think uh, it is important, actually, that we as a field like personality psychology is also making a contribution to this so that not only the books in the self-help section that are not evidence-based actually are trying to to take that corner here, that we could also we have something to offer here, too. Yeah. yeah. Have there been any research studies that examine some of the most effective ways to decrease neuroticism? Um, yes, I know. I should, I should say that this personality change, the personality change literature, and especially the one that focuses on, um, volitional personality change is fairly new. That being said, there's a lot of research on psychotherapy effectiveness. And in psychotherapy effectiveness studies, it is very common to have big five assessments before and after the treatment. Right. And in a fairly recent meta-analysis, so an integration of all kinds of psychotherapy studies, they have found that psychotherapy actually also leads to changes in eroticism. So it is not only the case that whatever, and this is across different mental disorders and problems, independent of the problem you show up with there, it seems to be the case that people are also getting better at generally dealing with their negative effect that they experience. And these changes also last. Research that is not on clinical populations is fairly new, like I said, but there are studies and these studies seem to show that two things are critical as preconditions. The one is that you want to change, that you're motivated. The other thing is that you believe you can change your personality Because many people actually think personality, super stable, genetically determined, there's nothing I can do. This is who I am, right? Cannot change it. But if you believe you can change, and if you really want to, it seems that if you then change your train of thoughts, feelings, and behavior, so it's really about habit building, that over time people are able to change their personality. And there, there are now apps and interventions being designed to help people doing that. Interesting. Yeah. So if, if I, I'm kind of, I'm thinking about this even in my own life and saying, you know, let's talk about the agreeableness one or think about agreeableness. I can't remember what I scored. I took the big five probably two years ago. I can't remember what my score is on agreeableness, but there's certain situations in my life where I would want to be more agreeable in that situation and other situations where I want to be less agreeable. Mm, yeah. And I probably t lean more to the more agreeable side because it's more difficult for me to show up and be less agreeable in certain situations. But 
you know, and there's certain business situations where that would serve me well. And so what you're saying is, in order to change that, it may not change my overall personality, maybe it will, but but even if there's a a section or an area of life I want to work on and show up differently in, because I know it would benefit me, then changing my thoughts, feelings, and behaviors in that arena can help. Do you see that? Do you see where people can have a different personality based on their environment that they're in? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, this is a very good observation. And I also like how you put it, that it is also, if you want to change it, maybe you want a more situation-specific version of it. I don't know if I would call it your personality per se then, but I think these interventions can also help with that because you now can reflect on what you do, right? You have the language and the tools to also change your agreeable behavior, and how you maybe use it. So I think there's there's that. But people definitely differ a lot across um, situations. Um, it, for example, it, it, imagine, well, I'm teaching a class, I'm, I'm taking my own example now, I'm teaching a class with 250 people. So it's a big, relatively big lecture class, and I'm talking all the time, I'm trying to um, be entertaining, but that is not at all what my personality is like. I'm more introverted and I would never choose to hang out with 250 people just to, to crack a joke if it wasn't my job. So I can, yeah. I can certainly d- differentiate and many people can do that. Right. Um, and, but I think it is also helpful therefore to, to have uh, like information and knowledge about what you are like in general to then maybe find uh, ways to better adapt and or adjust your personality to the to the situation needed or your behavior, I should say. Yeah. Hmm. Do you know of any books or resources? I'm sure there's journal articles, but the general public doesn't have typically easy access to all of them. Uh, where people, if they want to say, if they're saying, I want to know more about the big five and what each of these means and how it applies to me, do you know of any books that do that well? Well, I haven't checked recently. Um, and I'm sure there are popular books. I wish I could I wish I had I wish I could uh give you a recommendation. I guess that that means maybe I should write one because I think this is it's true. I agree that right. would be very useful. Um for uh, I only know textbooks right now for grad students and and i think this is not particularly interesting to me. right i know i see a lot of textbooks behind you yeah. which can be a little dense the textbooks yeah. well the one thing the there let me say this the questionnaire that i uh the online questionnaire that i was thinking of um sending you the link for uh came with a new york times article i believe or um I don't know if, it's, if it was the New York Times, but there's an article with it that I think lays out the big five and also how people develop fairly well. I'd be happy to send that to. Oh, yeah, that would be fantastic. And that's a 538 article, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. That That would be fantastic. Well, as we wrap up, one of the last questions I want to ask you is research you've personally done in this area or been a part of the team. What has been some of the most fascinating things that you have found in the research you've you've done. Wow, yeah, the most fascinating. One fascinating 
thing that I couldn't find for a long time was that major life events don't seem to have an average effect on our personality. And I should tell, uh, I, sh I should oh. give you a little background because we were thinking, okay, the environment that is unique to us seemed to have an, an influence on our personality. And we thought, what is it? Probably major life events, like having a child, um, maybe getting married, moving in together. These things require us to change our patterns of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, right? When you have a kid, you cannot do your regular routine, but you have to change. Now, right. we couldn't find any effects. And we looked over and over and over again in samples as big as 20 and 30,000 mothers and fathers. And wow. we were like, what is it? What, what are we, why can't, cannot we, is it so difficult to find these effects? And we now did a study where we asked a nationally representative sample if they had in the life event that really impacted their personality. And 63% said yes. And these people we asked, what was it? And then people said different things. And the interesting part of the study is that this was not a, not just a sample. That was a sample that we had studied over 10 years. So we knew how these people developed over the past 10 years. And we also knew when they had this life event they were talking about. So now we could check whether what they said now actually matched their individual trajectories. And we found that those people who said that parenthood was a major event and that it had an effect on how neurotic they are or emotionally stable, these people actually did change. So it was really the moderator here, or I should say, it, it doesn't, the life events don't matter the same for everyone, but the life events you think probably had an impact on your personality probably did. So people Perhaps. themselves could tell us, yeah, this probably mattered. And that helped us a lot understanding why we couldn't find any effects and how, how life events may impact our personality. Interesting. So there's kind of a further question there for future research of why do life events matter to some people and not or affect some people and not others? Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. And, and I guess there's a, a few ideas here, because, of course, some people already have a personality that is ready to parent, right? So these people are like, yeah, this is what I was waiting for. I'm, I'm born like that. I don't need to change, for example. It's not as yeah. life-changing. Or they had all kinds of other events that required them to change a certain way already. Um, or it, they really didn't need to change that much as others, right? So I think these are... But then, of course, the question is, why didn't they need to change that much? Well, that's, that is indeed a question for uh, further research, but... Yeah, this this uh, is a, was a critical step in understanding how how maybe environmental experiences may shape ourselves. Yeah, and as with research, it's never truly known or done or finished. <laughs> yeah. Always, always more to do. Well, Dr. Vivka Blydorn, thank you so much for being on the program. I learned more about the Big Five today. I know my listeners will be really excited to learn about this as well. They're total junkies for things like this. So we're really excited about it. And I'll put those things in the show notes where people can go and take the test, read the article that you referred to, and learn, learn more about themselves. I appreciate your time today. 
Super. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Here are my key takeaways from today's episode with Dr. Vibka Blydorn. Personality and the research and psychology behind personality is fascinating and it is in depth and it can feel overwhelming. But one of the really just granules of diamond that I took from what she said today in in a lot of the great things that we talked about was that personality, its definition, is the stable and unique patterns of behavior that distinguish people from each other. It's the way that people think, feel, and behave, and the complexity of these three things and how they interact to create a unique pattern for each person. So that's really fascinating. And I've taken the big five before, like we talked about. My husband and I took it when we were in Arizona a couple of years ago on vacation, just like driving through the desert, bored, tired of looking at red sand, <laughs> wanting to find something else to do. So that's what we did. And, you know, I there were some areas I was a little surprised by. Actually, I was more surprised with his results than I was with mine. But uh, it was really interesting because in this model of the big five, it gives you five things that you can kind of juxtapose together for you and your unique, your uniqueness. And this is the complexity of it. You know, if you're moderately neurotic and if you are massively or that's not the correct word scientifically, but if you are, um, you know, very agreeable or not at all conscientious, then this is going to make up your unique pattern and how you engage with the people in your life and the environment around you. So that's your personality. And in the big five, it talks about, again, I'll go through those five traits. It's conscientiousness. It's openness. I'm doing this in the wrong order. It's openness. It's conscientiousness. It's uh, extroversion. It's agreeableness. And it's neuroticism. And so you probably have some kind of an idea, but take the test, see what yours is, have the other people in your house, maybe take the test. If they're older than probably 12 years old, then they probably have more stability in their personality and can understand the questions, have them take the test and you can begin to see how each of you are different and how you can best interact with each other. But here's the other thing that I loved. If you want to change, and if you specifically want to change in a specific area that you want to show up in in life, maybe you need to stand up for yourself more at work, or maybe you need to be more agreeable at home, or maybe you need to be more conscientious in all areas of your life because you're lacking in self-control, you're never on time, and people who are depending on you are not able to depend on you. Well, how do you do that? You change your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors. You create new habits. And this is one of the things that I have been studying in my own research for my PhD, which is all about goals and habits and attaining goals and the things that we need to do in order to to move towards our ideal future self. And so similar to this conversation about personality, especially in if you want to change part of it, then you become intentional about a specific behavior that you want to change. And then you create a plan in order to move towards changing that. And so for all of you, many of our listeners, I know you struggle with the emotional part of attraction. You struggle with, I want to evoke emotions within others that they enjoy feeling. Maybe if you use a big five as one of the frameworks that you look at that through, is it because you're lacking agreeableness? Is it because people aren't able to depend on you? Is it because you are keeping to yourself and you're not leaning into some of the social aspects 
of relationship with other people. What is it? Is it because your neuroticism, your anxiety, your negative thoughts, your um, just kind of that overwhelming negative thoughts, behaviors, and feelings is what is encompassed under neuroticism is because you're too much that and people just feel drained when they are around you. Is it because you're not open? You're very close-minded. You don't really want to have conversations with people or know about them or, or anything like that. That can give you, in one instance, a, a bit of a framework to look at yourself through and say, okay, are some of the reasons of my personality based on Big Five, could some of these be the reasons that I evoke negative emotions within other people? And if so, then what can I do to make small steps forward to change that? It's a takeaway that I have for you. Until next week, stay strong.